This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I'm your host, Dr. Dan, and today we have a wonderful show. Our goal and mission at Parent Footprint is to create a loving world with more compassionate people, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, engaged, and aware kids is for us parents to do the same, to be happy, healthy, engaged, and aware in our own lives. We believe that awareness is the foundation of creating a vision of successful parenting, your own vision of successful parenting, and that we can be the people we want our kids to become. Today's show is called Transforming Power Struggles Through Play. Transforming Power Struggles Through Play. This is really exciting because this is our first international show and our first show with two guests. This is a double header here. <laughs> Everyone, please welcome from hand in hand, Abigail Wald and El Kwan. Abigail is coming to us from Los Angeles and she went to hand in hand to become an instructor because she became crystal clear that parenting was not just her passion, it was her life's work. And now she is te- has taught and is teaching hundreds of families, some of which you're going to learn about today. And then we have El Kwan in Hong Kong. How Ooh. exciting is that? <laughs> Hong Kong. El has two Hi. kids, two creative kids. And she came to this as a writer and produces a ton of the content that you're going to learn about uh, with Hand in Hand. And both of these wonderful people are co-hosts of a podcast that you are definitely going to want to check out, the Hand in Hand Parenting Podcast. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you. Hi, Dr. Dan. We are very excited to be here. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having us. Oh, it's my pleasure. We have so much to talk about And this show's been in the making for a while, right? With different time zones and emailing. (laughs) And we actually, we pulled this off. And um, what I have been so excited about is to not only talk with you both, but have you also talk about Hand in Hand and this global organization, what has grown to be a global organization informing the world about uh, parenting um, with health and well-being. So um, please tell us all, what is Hand in Hand and and how did it come to be? Mm. So I'm Elle, I'm the one in Hong Kong. Hand in Hand uh, began four decades ago, really, when our founder, Patty Whipler, was just struggling with parenthood herself. She observed 
different tools that worked with her children that came from a place of compassion and connection. Um, and she also came to realize the value of being supported um, by herself. And as these kind of areas grew for her in her life, she just started involving more parents and more communities um, until, you know, now Hand in Hand is a global uh, nonprofit. Um, we have instructors all over the world um, bringing this approach to parents and caregivers everywhere. And it is just really a wonderful, wonderful feat that she has accomplished. Um, you know, really the story of one woman kind of changing the world in her own little way. It's amazing. And and this parenting approach, you know, um, in, in knowing about what you guys do, one of the words that um, comes out for me is connection. Uh, mm -hmm. But I know there's much more than that. So how would you how would you describe this parenting approach hand in hand? You know, <laughs> it's very simple, but it's counterintuitive. So <laughs> um, it's a bit countercultural in that. Many of us, I think, traditionally come to parenthood feeling like um, my children have behaviors and some of their behaviors I don't like. And traditionally, we think it's our job to teach our children better behaviors. And sometimes that involves bribery or punishment or threats, um, distraction, you know, different kinds of, um, on some level, like coercion. You know, really, right? Because we parents have a lot we need to get done in the day. And so it's yes. like, I need you in your car seat now, right? And uh, right. the fact that you don't want to go in your car seat, like, I'm so sorry, but I have to make that happen. And um, and so, you know, that's a real thing. We really do have needs. And the way that traditional parenting um, handles that is, again, often, you know, bribing a child or sort of threatening them or punishing, taking things away when they don't comply. Um and what hand-in-hand -hand parenting um, comes in with a completely different uh, take on it. Really, what it says is, um, your child is good, and you are good. And your child isn't giving you a hard time so much as they're having a hard time. Mm. And if your child is having a hard time, if they could do better, they would. And, and if they're having a hard time right now, then what, what can we offer Instead of, you know, incentivizing behavior, like instead of behavior chasing, instead of getting so wrapped up in the behavior, what we find is that when we can connect with a child and help them feel safe and loved and cared and understood, then they themselves come up with solutions that work within the family. Right. So our mm -hmm. job as the parent is kind of to anchor, to regulate ourselves, to to care for our values, to be a leader, but through connection and love and inspiring our children to be well seated in their own brain through connection and love. And we'll talk about the science behind that in a moment. But um, and so it's very different approach. It's not behavior chasing. It's kind of like setting a child up for success from within. That's that's well said. Con I mean, conceptually, I love this idea of uh, well, of not behavior chasing, but it is really what it seems like innately we do, and then what we're taught. You know, that's good, that's bad. Um, how do we stop that? How do we reduce that? But to go from within, you know, to help a child come come up with a solution from within, we're we're preparing them for life, right? 
Yeah. I mean, you know, those all elusive qualities of grit and resilience, right? They don't come from nowhere. And it's, you know, this idea, well, how can I develop it? Right. But, but part of it is about helping a child know that these emotions and making mistakes, I mean, there's so many things that go into that, right? Growth mindset and the ability to make mistakes and feel like it's okay and to learn. But, but when it comes down to it, it's really about feeling safe. And when we feel safe, we have access to our best selves. And that's as a parent and as a child. And I think that's another huge difference about hand-in-hand parenting is that it, we don't take care of just the kids. We're not just here to tell parents, like, you should do things this way or that way. Like, we believe that a parent is their best expert in their family and that when a parent is having a hard time you know, mm-hmm. or not doing as well as they want, it's because they can't either because they don't have the support they need. So we come in and offer support to the parent, knowing that when the parent is well supported, then they will parent from their heart in the best possible way for their child. And they'll learn to support their child with that same kind of unconditional love and acceptance. It doesn't mean not limits. We're not permissive, right? We do hold limits and we advocate limit setting and boundaries, um, but just from a different place. And this has been going on for over four decades, so it works, right? <laughs> it's got to work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There are hundreds out there. of families yeah. across yeah. the globe who would testify to this working. And not just families, you know, it's it's therapists, um, it's the instructors, it's anyone really who works um, with children, you know, we have an instructor working uh, with, you know, really hard up communities in the slums of India. Um, we've worked with moms in prisons. Uh, we have therapists who work with kids and their families um, after trauma, um, medical practitioners, you know, who knows kids are scared when they're coming to hospitals or doctor's surgeries or, you know, it, they're, they're everywhere. And, and these methods really do work. Yeah. And it's crossing, I mean, it, we t- you talked about this being a, you know, a global organization, but when we think of all the cultures, so a lot of times, you know, in our fields, people wonder, well, will this work in this culture? We have to be culturally sensitive, of course, different norms, different values, but you're describing a similar approach working across not only cultures, but in very extreme, impoverished, traumatic, imprisoned environments. As well. What Absolutely. a fascinating yeah. question. That is such a fascinating question. So, you know, we do have um, some instructors in certain areas and different parts of the world where culturally things do come into play. We have instructors in Japan where, you know, sometimes some of these tools are harder. Um, there can be, you know, a little bit more um, privacy or, you know, so it, like sort of different levels of comfort with sharing feelings Okay, and so um, there are some cultural sensitivities, and of course, that's not going to be across the board. But there are cultural norms that can get, um, you know, sort of triggered, right, by by connection work. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. everybody in different cultures has a different idea of what connection looks like. So the thing about it is that we don't prescribe any one way of connection. Mm. So mm-hmm. we don't prescribe any one way of doing anything. It's about learning to listen to your children, learning to listen to yourself, um, and learning to take care. And so that can be done in any culture. And some of the tools have to be modified sometimes in different cultures. That is accurate. 
Hmm. I think as well, you know, these tools can be modified family to family. But yes. the thing that brings everyone together is the non-judgmental element that comes mm -hmm. from just listening, from just hearing a child talk about his difficulties, from listening to other parents talk about theirs and saying, I know it's hard, you know, it makes all the difference to be heard. Yeah. And then the, and the science, you'd mentioned, Abigail, you were saying the science behind this. So tell us, tell us about that. So, um, you know, Dr. Dan Siegel does a lot of work on this um, and uh, has some wonderful books on this subject and even YouTube videos um, if anybody's interested in going up and looking. But, um, you know, basically the the most basic form of it being that we know that our brains function best when we are feeling safe. So we have these parts of our brain and there's the brain stem which is basically just doing all the automatic functioning of our you know like dividing your kidney cells at 3 p.m you don't put that in your calendar <laughs> you know it just happens mm -hmm. um and then you've got your um sort of limbic brain your mammalian brain um and that is really concerned with safety so it really wants to know like is this experience good for me or is this experience not safe for me in some way and we're very keyed into that because um we don't want danger we we really don't it's not it's not okay for us right i mean some people are thrill seekers and that's a whole different thing um but for most of us we want to feel safe and so in general what people seek is connection and safety and when they have connection and safety we have access to our prefrontal cortex and the prefrontal cortex is that part of our brains that's super developed in humans which is what makes us be able to create music and talk about taxes and um, and do other things that are actually lovelier than taxes, <laughs> taxes. <laughs> and, um, but you know it allows us to build societies and build buildings and make music and art and um all of that science creative endeavors um communication verbal exchange all of that being able to listen to somebody and understand and communicate back and forth, these are all things that happen in our prefrontal cortex and flexibility being one among them. So we know from our own selves, when we're not feeling safe, we tend to get rigid, right? And when we feel really safe, we're like, oh yeah, we could do it a different way. We feel open. And so mm -hmm. it's the same thing where we want to not trigger, because when you trigger somebody's sort of unsafety there's there's like these amygdala in our brain and they're not solely responsible it's actually a whole neural network in our brain that communicates but the amygdala definitely play a role in this um so to very much simplify you can sort of think about them as like these fear hair triggers and mm -hmm. if you do that tripwire if some experience sets off that tripwire then a person no longer has access to their prefrontal cortex they kind of go into shutdown mode so i look at it like you know, you're you're like crawling around on a floor in a museum and you're trying to go get a painting and you hear like that Mission Impossible music and it's like dun 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 right. Dun, 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 <laughs> thank dun, you, dun. thank you. <laughs> and let's say my elbow goes up a little high and it hits one of those laser beams and oh, all of a sudden good. the entire right, so the entire museum just shuts down and it's like uh 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 right. And like guards come running in and light floods and I'm just stuck and frozen. That's kind of what happens in our brain when we get triggered, when we sense fear right? If we hit one of those tripwires in our brain and we kind of shut down and we go into what's known as fight or flight. And so at that point, we're just fighting for our survival and it doesn't matter that it's not actually survival. Like it can feel like survival that your child just spilled a bottle of milk in your car. That can feel like an emergency 
in our hardwiring of our brain, Mm -hmm. right? So even though you know it's not an emergency, it feels like one and your brain kicks into that overdrive, sending all sorts of neurons cascading and basically shutting down your prefrontal cortex, shutting down your ability to think fluidly, flexibly, clearly. And And it happens both ways. It's the parent and the child, right? So the child uh, may have spilled that milk in a bid to stop the fact that he knows he's going to have to go to preschool now and he doesn't really want to go this morning, right? He's in shutdown as well. He's He knows he's got something coming back. So it works for both parties involved, the parent and the child like this. Yeah, which totally brings, which brings us to this power struggle topic today because mm-hmm. I'm envisioning the standoff, right? <laughs> Regardless of the child's age. We and I had you I had an image of the car seat. I think Abigail, you had mentioned that. I remember those car seat arches oh, and you know the yes. arching and you're and so whether our child is nine months old or much older, there's these standoffs which I need you to do something and I don't want to do it. I actually had a adolescent and parents in the office and I said, Well tell me about this is uh yesterday. Uh tell me about uh you know, your family. And they say, Well, the thing about our family is my parents like to be in control and so do I. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that can be a problem. But what you're talking about with the brain, right? When we're in a standoff, our brains are being triggered and our fight or flight is being triggered. So we need to approach this differently. Yeah. Yeah. So what's fascinating is in those moments, right? We typically will get into some sort of power struggle. Like, L, you want to you wanna play one of those out for us? I'll fix that, Miguel. This is so frequent in my life. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yes, I have one also from yesterday. Um, I came back uh, a little bit later than I expected, and it was almost time for dinner. And uh, this is never great because that means everyone's rushing around. Um, the kids had had late nights over the weekend, so I was quite intent on getting them to bed early. For once, it's freezing in Hong Kong. I think everyone's mm. in hibernation mode. So, you know, I just wanted to get as cozy and snuggled up in bed, and that was going to be that for the night. And my son had totally different ideas. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> I don't want the noodles. I want a bagel. <laughs> so I was like, <laughs> okay, well... We talked about the health aspects. We were like, okay, well, then we can have half a bagel with our noodles and and that works out. But I don't want to come to the table right now. Um, Why? (laughs) My brain is like, (laughs) really? (laughs) And I just take this breath and I'm like, and I actually just in the end scooped him up and said, you don't want to eat right now. You don't want to eat right now. You don't want to eat right now. And he started giggling and my my daughter, meanwhile, I have to add, this is not a perfect scenario, was rolling her eyes. Um, (laughs) It's a real scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to eat, you don't want to eat, you don't want to eat. Until, you know, he giggled and and he realized eating is not an emergency right now, you know. But it took me doing that for, for me to realize Okay, this this is not going to go as planned. But that kind of as soon as as soon as you can kind of make him laugh, as soon as he was laughing, 
I don't know, the the kind of emergency-ness of it went away a little bit, you know, and it was like, okay, this this is okay, you know. And I, I don't know, it's an interesting scenario because I always feel like it feels, it can feel sometimes like they're prodding. They're prodding to see what a big deal this is. Is this a big deal or not a big deal? And I really mm, think mm-hmm. it can, you know, help calm them and, and provide that safety that you were talking about earlier, Abigail, um, to just go, no, this is not an emergency, but I would like it to happen and you do need to eat, you know. And so in the end, you know, he came. And actually much later, he uh, when we were finally tucked up in bed, he did say, you know, it had been a rough day at school. Um, two of his friends hadn't wanted to play what he wanted to play. He ended up walking around by himself. I don't know whether he's, I don't want to eat was his way of just saying, I I need something else right now. It's been a, a bad day. And just coming together and having a few giggles did, you know, de, de, de-stress the situation, I suppose. And there's the play aspect, right? There's the play. Yeah, I mean, I think that play is a crucial element just for um, taking that stress away. And it works on two levels, basically. The laughter is connecting you know it releases tension so if he's feeling full and tense about you know whether it was about wanting to not eat or whether it was about the the events of the day that he'd collected um it gave a way for him to kind of offload a bit of that in a nice warm safe way with someone he cares about but also that physical kind of contact that he got so when your brain is in in the situation that Abigail just explained, when you're in that flight or fright, your your reasoning center in your brain is really not working. But your limbic system is looking for, constantly searching for closeness and connection. So by moving in right. physically like that, you make a different kind of connection that your brain can feel or mm. his brain could feel and pick up on. Um, and so that makes a big difference too. So, yeah, we, uh, sorry, hand in hand, we call that kind of reaction or response um, play listening. And it's one of the tools in the approach. Um, Do you want to explain what it is, Abigail? Sure. I I think it's such a great example that you provided because this is such a recipe for how things go in all of our families, right? Like Elle had an idea, right? She had a solution. And whenever we walk (laughs) into a situation with a solution, it can be challenging, right? Because it's not, we didn't have a meeting and say, hey, what are we all going to do tonight? It's just like, I have an idea of what I think tonight should look like, right? Yeah. Which is fine. And I'm like, a parent and right. I'm in charge. Yes. And yeah. totally reasonable. It's not like we have to have a meeting for everything. Like, is it okay, everybody, if I go to the bathroom right now? Like, we don't need to do that, you know? Although it can feel that way when it you have a two-year-old. It can feel like you need to <laughs> yeah. do that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, you know, but it's such a classic thing where a child, a, a parent comes in with that feeling and a child has a totally different solution of their own, right? And then you come in this power struggle moment, right? And again, I I love your story that like, you know, it's like people didn't want to play his games today. And it's almost like he's saying, I'm not going to play your game, right? That's so true. I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, let (laughs) let me show you what happened to me today. And Mm. if we don't, if we're not listening with those connection ears, right, then, oh, that's a new term, connection ears. I like that. Connection (laughs) ears. ears. (laughs) You heard it here first, everyone. Connection ears. Pioneering on the Dr. Dan podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, if you're not listening with those connection ears, then it's like, 
what you hear is insolence. What you hear mm. can be, you know, difficulty. What you hear is like, oh, you're just hungry and you're not able to think clearly, which can be true, right? Because hunger, by the way, is also setting off in the body a, si- a signal of unsafety, right? I don't have food. I'm not, I'm not getting all the chemicals I need in my brain. That doesn't feel <laughs> yeah. safe, right? So, right. you know, there are so many different ways we perceive unsafety and so many different ways we perceive safety. But to come in, and I think this is a critical distinction, is, you know, when we come in with that kind of play, we are not trying to distract. And so it can be hard when we first learn this tool because it can feel and look like distraction, right? Mm. Um, So I want to just really tease that out for a second, if that's okay, because Elle wasn't coming in to say like, oh, this is difficult. I'm going to just play with you to get you in a good mood so you do what I want, Mm. right? Mm, 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 It's mm. about coming in with play, knowing that If I come in, my goal is to bring that emergency down. My goal is to connect and help you feel safe. So together we can find a way we're going to have dinner or snuggle or not snuggle. And like, I don't know what the answer is. And there are times that you know what your limit is. Like, my limit is this. And there are times where it's like, well, I thought we should have this, but you really want to have that. And that's okay, too. That doesn't make you not a leader. I always say like, like a benevolent leader is someone who listens to their constituency and matters, lets them matter. <laughs> right, right, right. I like that. I <laughs> Wait, should like I say that, that again? <laughs> a benevolent leader. <laughs> uh, yes, please do. <laughs> no, but you know, for real, right? Because that's how you yeah. feel represented. And I think that's one of the things is kids often don't feel represented in their own families because families get so hung up on being consistent with good reason because we're told consistency matters. But we would argue at hand in hand that consistency of connection matters, consistency of listening, not consistency of the answer. I love that consistency of connection. And so that raises – so here's the – the devil advocate in this, the um, what I would say, yeah. the grandparent, the traditional parent, the what do we want to call it? the authorita- authoritarian parent is, well, aren't you just rewarding bad behavior because you just gave in? Yes. Yeah. I'm sure you've never yeah. heard that before. Right? <laughs> no. Oh, never. You're the first. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what do we say? What do we say to that one? I think that. When you come in and there's a power struggle and you issue, let's say, a punishment and you say, fine, you're not going to eat, you go for a timeout, you know, and that, well, have you in fact won? I mean, dinner time still hasn't actually happened. Good um, point. It's not happening the way you planned. You may feel like you got a result, but he went for a timeout and is he sitting there on his bed going, hmm, Actually, I should really go and eat my dinner right now. I really learned something valuable about from this lesson. Yeah, (laughs) like I'm not sure, you know, or is he going, my, look at that Lego creation on my window. So I love that. You know, I'm not sure how much of that uh, reevaluation happens. Um, I think if he comes out to eat, it's because he misses you, maybe. Or he feels like he has to comply. And I don't know if those are great situations to feel a win. I mean, if you think about it, if you come in with connection, yeah, you might be moving your dinner time up a little bit, but you're doing it together. 
you're you're saying I understand there's some deeper things going on right here for you right now and I'm not going to say that is easy it takes patience it takes time you know to accept these to you know we by osmosis learn that you know we should be the powerful ones we should be in control of these situations we feel it's our job to teach and to guide but there's nothing to say that through connection you can't guide you can Mm -hmm. guide Mm -hmm. but you can also listen to a point of view you know i was thinking about this this power struggles the other day because i spilt really annoyingly a bunch of um great like rice we have rice i spilt a bunch of rice out of the cupboard and, you know, I just said to my husband, oh, could you help me just grab the vacuum cleaner? Which was a bit lazy of me. But, you know, and he did and we cleaned it up. And I'm like, it's it would be totally different maybe if my five-year-old had dropped that rice. A totally different reaction, you know. The, the, your brain, your system would be like, what? You know, what? how did that happen? You know, that's what tends to happen. And that's why you get into these power struggles because of these beliefs that you hold about the the kind of parent-child relationship. But I just feel like it doesn't have to be that way. And in fact, that's how I got into Hand in Hand. You know, I was doing timeouts constantly and thinking there has to be another mm-hmm. way, you know, because this this wasn't reducing the amount of behaviours that I was unhappy with. It felt cruel, you know. It felt like sometimes I was having to dump him in his room because he wouldn't go because obviously at that point he's upset. He doesn't know what to do. His, his system is in emergency mode. And I was saying, well, at this moment I can't cope with you in emergency mode, so go away and deal with it yourself. And mm-hmm. he had been on the planet maybe three years and I have been mm-hmm. on a lot longer. <laughs> so I just felt like there must be a way to work together a bit more. And this idea of connection just resonated with me so much stronger. And Abigail, yeah. how did it trans? How did it change your life? Because as our listeners know or need to know, these uh, two individuals not only teach it, they live it, right? So you guys are living yeah. proof of this approach. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I just want to say, because I think it's so it's so germane to the whole hand-in-hand parenting philosophy, this idea that, like, it's like, I, I, I liken it sometimes to this, like, if you get lost, right, and Dan, you and I are going to a party, and we've never been there before, and you get lost on the side of the road, you're already upset that you're lost. It's not going to help for me to be like, Dan, you got us lost. Like, that's it. I'm not your friend anymore. You know what I mean? It's like, that, yes. it just doesn't help. It's like, we don't need to punish people for getting lost. We just need to sit by them and say like, I'm sorry you got lost. I'll sit here with you. I believe in you. We'll figure out a way. And we can have fun while we're lost. You know? Because at the end of the day, like, there's there's no value to be gained by taking someone who's not in their right mind in that moment. And I don't mean that like crazy. I mean, not in the prefrontal cortex, not in a place where logic is going to work. They're in an emotionally charged place. And all they need is love and connection to bring them back. And Mm -hmm. so this idea of are we rewarding a child? No, we're actually providing what they really need so that they don't choose the other behavior. If they could choose the better behavior, they would. So we're actually providing the connection to allow them to choose that better behavior. Um, So it's not a reward. It's just really a lack of punishment and a punishment that even if it were placed wouldn't actually help you get any less lost. Right? Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Well said. Well said. Well, now 
yes, I have to ask you guys to apply this in an example that is going to be very difficult for you because you are highly aware parents and parent instructors and educators, and for you to come up with the one parent footprint moment (laughs) is going to tax your brain. I'm using tax in a different way now. Tax your brain. Okay. (laughs) So let me see. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. We're going to go with, okay, Abigail, we're going to keep going with you. So you're going to be first. Okay. So the parent footprint moment, everyone remembers. (laughs) Yes, this is it. We need the music going on. (laughs) So the parent footprint moment. Tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as an individual and or as a parent, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child. Okay. So because I think it relates to that, it's an answer to this question, and it's also an illustration of a power struggle and working it out not so much through play but through listening. I will share with you what happened uh, on my bathroom floor this week. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> what happened on your bathroom floor this week? So my 10-year-old is particularly powerful. He is a sensitive kid with deep, strong feelings um, and also pretty guarded about his um, intentions. So he doesn't like communicate that much about them but he feels them very very deeply so he's all he also his his he works quite differently for me so it's always um a very interesting thing for me to show up for him it can be a very uncomfortable moment for me as a parent if this makes sense and you'll see in this example so my older son was born needing um open heart surgery Hmm. and he had multiple open heart surgeries throughout his life Um, I come from a religious family, and I am not particularly religious myself, but I do believe in God, and I really wanted my son to have a bar mitzvah, Mm -hmm. both because um, I wanted to do that for my father who passed, that I know it would have meant the world to him. I also wanted to do it um, for him to have a sense of just our culture and history, and I also wanted to do it um, because it meant to me a a way to thank God for all the things we've been carried through. And um, this was of no meaning to my son. So he has been going, we've been dropping him off for the last couple of years to prepare. um, And he hates it, like really hates it. And I can relate being that person a long time ago. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. So he literally feels like I am just torturing him. I mean, it actually feels like torture to him. And um, and so I've been holding the limit for two and a half years now. And even though he complains every single time we go, my feeling on it was his life is so complete with everything he wants. Do you know he's not really – I mean, that said, again, this is a child who's had multiple open heart surgeries. Right. So he hasn't had like, you know, like this completely charmed life, although he has. Like he he's in a family that really loves him, in a school that's really comfortable for him and like – you know, he basically spends his life doing what he wants for the most part. And I thought it was valuable for him to struggle with this, quite frankly, right? Mm-hmm. And I also had a value in him doing it. As the time has worn on, I have realized he has no value and that my having a value on it is actually going to, if anything, make him like the most confirmed atheist in the entire world, <laughs> oh, <yeah>. right? <laughs> right. So 
Um, this past Saturday morning, as I was trying to take him to Hebrew school, he finally actually protested and sat down. And he doesn't usually cry, like, at all. Um, he's him, and he's 10, and he's a boy, and he'll be darned <laughs> if he's going to cry. <laughs> but he just had had it. And he was, like, on the bathroom floor, refusing to get dressed, and absolutely refusing to sign up for this weekly torture. <laughs> and... I looked at him and he looked at me with these eyes brimming with tears. And he said, you're not listening to me, which oh. was like the perfect thing to say to me. Right. Because, right. of course, I was like, <laughs> <gasps> yes. And I was like, I looked at him. And I said, OK, tell me what it is you hate. I just hate it. And then I won't repeat the string of expletives that happened. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and I said, uh-huh, I get that. I'm trying to understand, like, why, why it's not OK to hate it. Like, can you handle hating it for a little bit and find a way to like the things you don't like, you know? And he was like, no, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And he said, um, I don't know, something to the effect of like, this isn't how I want to spend my life. Like, this is valuable time of my life and I don't want to spend it this way. And those words struck me to the core. I just thought, oh my gosh, here is this child who has a sense of his mortality well beyond any other child, right? Mm -hmm. And... He's faced life and death situations multiple times, knowingly. Mm -hmm. And here he is telling me this isn't what he wants to do with his life. <laughs> and I had a moment where it was really, I, I'm not kidding. Like, I, I have tears in my eyes just thinking about this. It was so mm -hmm. hard for me because everything I want to pass on, these mm -hmm. values, he had no interest in. And I had to look at him and open my heart and say, my job is to hear him and yet share my values with him. But the way I'm trying to do it is actually not working. Mm -hmm. And it's time for me to truly face that. And I looked at him and I said, okay, I hear you. So what would you like to do if we don't do this? How would you like to live your life meaningfully? And he looked at me like, what? And I <laughs> said, I'm not going to take you home for you to play video games during that time. But if you're telling me that you have passions and you don't want to waste the time of your life, right? Because let's be real, none of us know how long any of us are going to be here. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I felt that in my heart. And I looked at him and I said, what, what do you want to do? I will spend those hours with you every week. We'll drop your brother off for Hebrew school. And you and I will spend those hours furthering your passion. One of those days, we'll do some sort of community service so we have a sense of something greater than you, right? And the other day, we'll spend only focusing on you and whatever you want to be learning that feels like what you want to do while you're here on this earth. And he sort of looked at me, and it was this moment that felt really seminal. Like, if I hadn't done that, I would have lost him for, you know, the teenage years. Mm -hmm. Like, he, he needed me to hear him. But it was so uncomfortable for me. And I don't know the end of the story, right? Mm -hmm. But, but it, was, it was a moment that felt important as a parent mm -hmm. and important as a child. Thanks for sharing that. That is raw. That is, like... That is a hard thing to do um, at multiple levels, but I know I can I can imagine and relate to the family history that also was in the room when you were having to do that and say that and make a decision of trust and openness to him. Um, and it's beautiful that the story's not over. It's just the, it's just mm -hmm. the beginning of this. Yeah, I don't know. <sighs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. L. 
That's a hard act to follow, isn't it? I, I, I was thinking that I wasn't going to say it, so you. <laughs> 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 but you did. <laughs> My right story. Moon, that please. was it. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Yeah. That was you. That was a good one. So, you could leave with your rice story if you want. I have. I do have one. One moment. Okay. Where I just I changed something. Something changed in me, and that was. Um, my little boy uh, was having such such a rough time a few years ago at um at kindergarten and um even now i think i should have made different choices you know and that's parenthood you know that's i think every parent has mm-hmm. an element of that um anyway it was soon after i found hand in hand and i, I kind of think it's relevant to today because we've been talking about play Um, And so it was soon after I'd realized the value of play. Um, And it was basically, you know, I would pick him up and he would need to play like the second I picked him up. You know, we we had a hundred stair walk up to kindergarten. Hong Kong is really a rocky mountainous place. Um, So, you know, and he would start straight away. He would need to be physically on me. You know, he would... He, he, it was just like he, he needed to share this burden. And I didn't really understand it, but we would get back and, you know, all I wanted to do was to get home. I was exhausted as well. Uh, and we would get home and he would still want to play, you know. Um, and I just thought he's going through something big at the moment and and I can be here to play with him. So when we would get home, you know, I'd just say, you know, let, let's play for 20 minutes. Um, and there was one time he was just... We were on my bed and he was walloping me with um, with pillows, you know, and he was just trying to get whatever this thing was out. And then he buried under the covers and I thought it would be fun to, to peekaboo him, you know. It was only like three at the time. And I went under the covers and he just looked at me. And I don't know what that look was, but to me the way I looked at it was... I am hurting. I'm hurting here. You know, and it was just a look. It was a look that was so deep in his eyes that I was like, this play is so necessary. This play is like helping him through. He's depending on it. And it moved me as a parent and we haven't really stopped playing since. Mm. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't need it as much more, but there was this drive mm-hmm. to play and work through everything that the morning had kind of put him through to get that out. And I just saw it in that one moment and it it just confirmed everything I'd been picking up because I was new to this then. Um, And it's changed things. And I will say our relationship, you know, much as as a lot of my stories centre around him, our relationship is so deep and so strong. Mm -hmm. And it's partly because of moments like that. Every so often you see those glimpses. Well, and... Thank you. Uh, both of you, uh, the stories about um, what I'm thinking about is the pause to connect. I mean, both of those just embody your uh, your philosophy about connecting because you have to be present and manage your own expectations, your own feelings, your own emotional arousal to connect and to yeah. look into those eyes to see for both of you guys what they are communicating to you even when they don't have the words. Yeah. 
And they don't. Often as parents, I think we're searching for solutions. We want to know the problem so we can fix it. Mm -hmm. And so often you don't know what the problem is, but you see the signals of something. And that's what you can fix. You know, you can play, you can connect, you can reach out in love. You can set a limit that says, no, this is not going to happen so that they cry and Mm -hmm. let all of that out. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Thank you both. Um, this show felt like three minutes, and um, <laughs> I don't think it was. Three hours. <laughs> so this, I'm going to say, is part one. This is part one of the show, and we are going to have, I hope, many more parts. Um, thank you so much for being in your time zones and joining us today and giving us your wisdom and sharing this um, this approach, which is all over the globe, uh, uh, impacting all of our cultures, right? Which shows that um, this connection, this warmth, this listening, non-judge, being non-judgmental, um, and just um, being with our kids, how important it is. And all of you have just learned how to transform power struggles through play. And there's much more where this information comes from. So will you please tell our audience where they can learn more about your podcast and more of your great stuff? Yeah, you can find the podcast at handinhandparenting.org. That's handinhandparenting.org slash podcast. Um, you can find me personally at realtimeparenting.com. That's Abigail. And uh, also lots of wonderful blog articles at handinhandparenting.org. Um, the main site, a uh, tremendous amount of wonderful uh, information at your fingertips. Um, and we have classes. I run a 30-day family reset um, that helps people move through and learn all these tools. Um, and uh, just tons of ways to get engaged with Hand in Hand. There's a wonderful book. Um, Elle, you want to tell them about Patty and Tasha's book? The book is Listen, Five Simple Tools to Meet Your Everyday Parenting Challenges. Um, And it's by our founder, Patty Whipler, and another instructor that she worked closely with, Tasha Shore. Um, And it's a wonderful book. It gives um, a real good introduction to the tools, each tool in the approach, and then hundreds of family anecdotes from families using those tools. Um, So you can learn how to apply them to your situation and also um dr dan i'm not sure if this is going out in february but if it is um there is a hundred dollars off at the moment for this month uh the hand in hand starter class and that is an online class um, where you work with an instructor and every week you um get introduced to a tool um and then you go away and you work with with your family. You use that tool, you implement it. Then you come back the next week. Um, you kind of talk about how it worked. Um, it's small groups. Um, there's probably about six of you um, all online meeting once a week. And you also get um, listening time, which is the tool that we use to, to support parents. Um, it's a wonderful introduction to hand in hand or a great way to deepen your knowledge if you have some already. Um, wonderful. Yeah. And this will be out in time for people to take advantage of that great discount. Oh, so thank great. You. Well, then what, yes. what you need to do is put uh, support 2018 um, when you click on the class uh, and then you get the discount off. So Awesome. That's on at the site. 
Ellen Abigail, thank you so much for joining thank me you. on part one of our show. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back I for will, five more. <laughs> yes, I will look forward. Everyone, look forward to our series. Um, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us and um, appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, everyone, take heed. This is how we connect with our kids. We listen to them. We don't judge them. We connect with them. Be engaged in your life. Show your kids the people you want them to be. Be aware of your own emotions. Be aware of your parenting beliefs. Create your own vision of successful parenting for your children and your grandchildren. And as always, I will leave you with the guiding question. What footprint do you want to leave? <laughs>